We're going to start with kind of a heavy question tonight. Uh, maybe you're here tonight and you're married. Would you whoop and holler if you're married? I want to know you're excited about it. Good. Maybe you're not and want to be. Maybe you're not and glad you're not. But let's just say this. When you got married or when you're thinking about it, did you ever say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to get married someday and it's going to be good for a while and then I'm going to start to look elsewhere and I'm probably going to commit adultery and she's going to be hot or he's going to be really a stud. It's going to be a good thing. That's my plan. Anybody have that plan? Or, or, or maybe you don't think in those terms, but you think, you know, one day uh, I, I hope we can get married, and if we are married already, I hope we can make it five, six, seven years and then start to look around because this will get boring after a while, right? No, nobody thinks that way, do we? Matter of fact, when I stand right here with folks who are crazy enough to get married, they promise each other forever. They promise each other that nothing will change, that their love will be as sure as certain as it is the moment their relationship begins when that relationship ends in death. The reality of that is we live in a culture that really, really prepares us more for divorce than it does for marriage, don't we? You say, what are you talking about, Todd? Well, just think about your life's history and relationships. You met somebody, you liked them, you hung out with them. Now, when you meet somebody and you like them and you hang out with them, they ask you to move in, you put your toothbrush in, uh, you claim a, a closet, you move in, and if it doesn't work out, pretty soon you move out, you take your broken heart and your toothbrush and hit the road. Take up with somebody else. And it happens over and over and over and over again in our culture. And what we're learning is that relationships aren't meant to be forever. That's what our culture is teaching us. Now, over the last few weeks in this series, which we conclude this weekend, called Once Upon a Relationship, we're trying to make it clear that your relationship doesn't have to look like what culture says that it should or says that it might. And we're going to choose today to talk about a guy by the name of Hosea. And he married a lady by the name of Gomer. I am never going to date anybody whose name is Gomer. All I can think when I see Gomer is Shazam! Never going to marry a Gomer. Never going to date a Gomer. But it was God's plan for Hosea's life. Hosea was a young prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel in 760 B.C. under the reign of Jeroboam II. It was a great time in Israel. Economic increase happened, and as often when economic increase occurs, moral values started to sink. And into this uh, particular scene, our, our mess Hosea began to prophesy. He was a young single prophet preacher, and God said, here's the woman that I want you to marry. Now, I don't know how to say this uh, any better than this, but the Bible tells us, and if you look in, in Hosea chapter 1 up there, that basically she was a harlot. Basically, she was kind of a sleazy woman. So we got a preacher, a young preacher, and a sleazy woman. Now, 
I don't know how to draw a line there. I'm not going to get into that because I know that every woman in this room is of perfect character and there's no good examples, but we do have a few sleazy guys. (laughs) I'll introduce them to you if you'd like to know one when we get finished tonight. For whatever reason, God said, here's what I want you to do. And we start to see this multi-layered story play out. It's kind of interesting how it happens because God wanted to teach Hosea the lesson of spiritual adultery, and so he brought him into a relationship with this woman who showed him more about adultery than he ever wanted to know. Let's stop just for a moment and and think about why those kind of things happen in relationship. There's really only one foundational promise or, or, or one foundational reason that they happen is because people start to think in relationships that what they're missing is better than what they have. Amen? It's okay to say amen on Saturday night. What they're missing is better than what they have. They're, they're married, they're in a relationship, they, they look at their husband, they look at their wife, and in Gomer's case, she looked at Hosea, and she started to think, you know, it is really, really good to be married to this guy, but look at my neighbor next door, or look at the guy down the street, look at my boss at work. Before you know it, you're on Facebook talking to an old boyfriend. Before you know it, you're, you're, tweet, you're, you're tweeting and talking about how lonely you are. Uh, you're texting everybody you know, the whole file, just seeing who might pay a little attention to you. And you start to look around and you start to think that this marriage is really limiting me. It's dragging me down. This relationship that I call love, it, it's just kind of like a ball and chain in my life. And so you start to think what you're missing is better than what you have. And you you trade what I'll call an 80% good relationship for a 20% piece of junk. Can I tell you that what you're looking at is not better than what you have? What you're looking at brings with it a whole set of problems. We all have problems, don't we? You ever just feel like your life just stinks? There's nothing good about you? I looked in the mirror today, you know what I thought? I have defeated anorexia. (laughs) That was the best thing I could think about myself today. I have done it in. I put it down. But you get to feeling that way. There's nothing good. I don't have anything good. It's got to be better somewhere else. What I'm missing is better than what I have. The Bible says that Gomer went out and she met a man and and still married to Hosea and had a child with that man and then another child with another man. And as often happened in that day, not only did she begin to dilly and dally with other men, that's uh, that's a word for getting busy, by the way. She actually fell into a life of prostitution. She had her own pimp, the Bible tells us. Sad story. I want to let that sink in. You can say pimp in church, but not on Sunday morning. (laughs) Only if you want to remain employed. Okay. So now we're going to talk about 
the other layer of the story. We're going to leave Gomer out in the middle of trouble, and we're going to leave Hosea with a broken heart. So what was God teaching his prophet here about spiritual adultery? What was God saying to him? Because the nation of Israel looked a whole lot like Gomer as they related to God. First of all, in chapter 2, here's how God responded. He responded with righteous anger. Here's what it says in verse 8. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season. I'll take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. I will uncover the lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver me from my land or deliver her from my land. So what, as Hosea writes these words, he's not only thinking about this woman that God told him to marry and this woman who left him for other lovers, this woman who was now living a life of prostitution, he's also prophesying to Israel that over and over and over again, they turned their back on God, they'd rebelled on God. You and I do the same thing, don't we? We could be named Israel because over and over again, we do what we know we shouldn't. We live lives that are displeasing to God. We turn our back on him. We rebel against him. So how does God respond? First of all, the scripture says he responds with righteous anger. God gets mad. God's a jealous God. God's a possessive God. God wants you in his fold. He wants to love you and protect you. He wants to bless you and not burden you. And he gets mad. He gets upset. He's disappointed when we commit spiritual adultery. Second thing we find in verse 14 and 15 Here's what it says, therefore, behold, I will allure her, I will bring her into the wilderness, I will speak comfort to her, I will give her the vineyards from there, the valley of Acre. And I want you to just focus on that phrase right there, because I want to talk to you about the valley of Acre as a door of hope. She shall sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And the imagery here, not only does it speak to uh, national sin and national rebellion, but it speaks to romantic liaisons. It speaks to adultery and a healing. And what Hosea is saying is simply this. Many, many, many times we will walk through a very troubled, lonesome, lonesome valley, the valley of Acre, a place of defeat, a place of doom, a place of sin, a place where there seems to be no hope, a place where everything good seems to have withered and died, a place where you're broken, a valley, the valley of Acre. But then he says something extraordinary. As you begin to walk through that valley, as you trudge wounded and weary through that valley, there's a door of hope. 
There's a door of hope. And just when you expect it the least, just when you feel like God is nowhere to be found, just when you feel like his anger will destroy you, that door of hope springs open. How's that apply to your relationships tonight? Really two good ways to have, or two ways to have a good relationship, good marriage. The first is do everything right. Chad and I are the only ones here who do everything right. You know, you just can't do that. Secondly, you walk through the valley of Acre to the door of hope. You fall down. You get back up. You do battle. You offer forgiveness. You wound each other, and then you dress those wounds. You say terrible things to each other. Then you humbly repent to each other. You see, I believe relationships were never meant to be perfect. When people tell me, you know, we've been married umpteen years and we've never had a fight, I say bull, malarkey, and some other things. Because it's just not true. I don't know anybody who can live with a woman and not get mad. I don't know any women who can be anywhere near a man and not think that's the most ignorant human ever created, right? (laughs) Amen? And so when you try to blend those two kinds of things together, you walk through the valley of Acre. Some of you came to church tonight in the valley of Acre. You're the one setting kind of far apart right now. But aren't you glad that the door of hope, the door of hope is always there. And no matter how defeated you seem tonight, no matter how broken it feels like you are tonight, please, please, please remember that with God, there's always hope. There is always hope. I think there's a word for those of you tonight who've experienced the kind of hurt that Hosea did. Kind of concludes his story. You know what he did? God said to him, you got to make this right. And so Hosea begins this extensive search throughout the land of Israel. He goes to the places where no prophet should be. He opens the doors that he never wanted to enter. The lowest, darkest, most sin-filled, broken places, Hosea searches for Gomer. He looks and he looks. I imagine when their eyes locked that first time, She must have thought, he's come to punish me. He's come to condemn me. He's come to tongue-lash me. But no, Hosea ran to her with open arms. 
arms of love, arms of forgiveness. Begged her to start again. He went to her pimp. He took his wallet out. What will it cost me to get my wife back? And he paid the price. And he reclaimed his bride. You know, I, I know how it feels to be wounded like that. Some of you do too. You see, forgiveness and loving like that aren't easy. They aren't cheap. The only way we can do it is because we know how much God loves us. We know how many times we've been adulterous in our relationship with Him. We know that His forgiveness cost Him everything. And because of that cross, we have the capacity to forgive and to love as we have been. My prayer is that your relationships never turn as sour, as tragically sour as this one did. But I pray that God gives you enough grace and enough mercy to do the same thing that Hosea did. To love, to forgive, to walk through that valley and run through the door of hope. Would you pray with me? Father, across this room are people who have experienced brokenness and dreams that have been crushed and relationships that seemed perfect turned sour and blessings falter and wilter. Across this room are people who've been disappointed, who've been mortally wounded by others. Father, in just a moment, we're going to open this altar, and we're going to come, and we're going to ask for a couple of things, Father. We're going to ask for your forgiveness for our adultery, and we're going to ask for the courage to forgive others. Father, not to be a doormat, not to take it again, but, Father, the courage to start over. To live on the other side of the door of hope.